Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. Last week we spoke about a research commissioned by APRA and conducted by Dr Catherine Strong about the gender gap for screen composers and how more dialogue and research can help spark some real change in the music industry. We learned about one of the ways that gender diversity can be encouraged is through mentorship programs and masterclasses to teach underrepresented communities the skills that equip them to be on a more level playing field in the music industry. And so we spoke to Del Lamanta about the work that she and um, artists like Rainbow Chan, Emma Ramsey, Annie Bath, Annie Bass um, are doing to support young women in electronic music with training programs uh, to be more representative of female identifying musicians as a part of the All Girl Electronic Initiative in Western Sydney. Yeah, Adele had some really incredible insights into how women mentoring other women and gender non-conforming female identifying people can um, kind of work together to help rectify some issues around gender representation in the music industry. And so this week is part two of our Women in the Music Industry show and we'll be hearing um, from Dr Ray Cooper and Sally Hannah Osborne about the University of Sydney's Business School um, recently released a Skipping a Beat report, which assesses the state of gender equality in the Australian music industry. And we've also got some commentary from the Executive Director of Music New South Wales, um, Emily Collins, who's doing a lot of amazing work uh, running programs focused explicitly on gender representation in the Australian music industry. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to hear from both of those um, people. And I think in recent weeks, we've been bringing you some relatively positive news from a feminist perspective. Um, this week, unfortunately, has been a bit of a trash fire and I've really been struggling to put an optimistic spin on things. Anna Faris and Chris Pratt broke up. Um, a 20-year-old British model was kidnapped in Milan, Italy, to be auctioned off on a pornographic website on the dark web. The Italian state police said um, on Saturday, the, the details are quite grisly. I was going to go into it, but it's actually, like, really nasty. Um, and while it is quite horrific... Um, this set of events is not completely unheard of, and I think this news story um, casts some light on the very real dangers that exist for women and children, and actually men as well, as they relate to sex trafficking and slavery on the dark web. Yeah, it's a pretty um, bad news week for our Go mm. Home Everything is Terrible segment. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you have any positive news from the week, text us 0409 945 945. That's 0409 945 945. Another bananas story this week came out of Google where they actually fired the author of a 10-page anti-woman, anti-diversity memo, which was basically a manifesto that this guy gave to his fellow Google employees explaining why diversity efforts are discriminatory to men and why women are biologically unsuited to tech careers and leadership roles. So some pretty serious men's right activism rhetoric from very that interesting. Um, memoir. <laughs> yeah, food for thought. Um, and in very tech world style, Google VP Danielle Brown responded to this embarrassing statement um, without actually managing to mention women or even sexism once and instead kind of offered vague sentiments about inclusive environments and assumptions about gender. Uh, so once again, it was a batting news story, but it also remind us, reminds us of the enormous gender imbalance in the tech industry in particular. I think that the tech industry is one of the most imbalanced industries um, in terms of gender representation. Um, but yeah, maybe if women stopped being so neurotic, they would be recognised for their merit. I think that was one of the points that came out of the manifesto. It's like, stop being so sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a pretty amazing... I mean, I, I feel like the hilarity of this news story is 
um, positive, but the actual news story was really negative. There was this amazing Facebook post that this woman did where she was like by the pool reading uh, Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit and this man came over to her and you can like read the transcript of it on Facebook we'll post a link up on our um, agenda show page but it basically just details how she's talking to him about the book that she's reading and he's like oh it's a book about men mentoring women and she's like no no it's and he's like I can mentor you let me help you <laughs> anyway it's really it's very funny and if you are familiar with Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit it's not about men mentoring women at all but it's, it's I think, in like the beginning of that book, and it's a really interesting book, um, but she's kind of at a dinner party and a man is explaining the research that she's done. Yeah, and, her own and book. Her He's own explaining book. her own yeah, book to and her. And he just keeps on like interrupting her and being like, no, 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 no. So what it's about is, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, huh, okay. I wrote that book. Yeah. yeah. And he just ignores it. It's the same thing with this post. It's this guy going, let me mentor you. And she's like, no, it's not about that. It's about, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a mentor. I worked in a convenience store. I wasn't a writer. And she's yeah. Like, and uh, she's like, do you want to read this book? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I don't read much. Yeah. <laughs> I actually don't read. I don't <laughs> yeah, we'll post a link up to that. Another pretty bananas news item this week um, back in Australia is the postal plebiscite. You now have 12 days to enrol for the plebiscite to take part in the survey on same-sex marriage. And there were so many nuances with the marriage equality debate, which would kind of form a whole other episode. And I'm not going to go into it in too much depth, but I just want to quote Isabella D'Souza, who is a young performance artist and writer who we've interviewed on Agenda before. And she put a pretty apt uh, Facebook post up this week saying... Marriage equality, in my opinion, is not the most important thing on the queer agenda, um, but don't think I won't fight you if you're not enrolled to vote. If you know you're enrolled, click the link, and we'll pop the link up on the Agenda Show page, and check your enrolment. This plebiscite is non-compulsory and via mail. They want us not to show up. There's data saying we won't, and they want to use that against us. So prove them wrong, show up, speak up, and then we can get onto more dire issues like LGBTQI plus homeless youth, our rising suicide rates, our lack of adequate gender um, and queer sex ed, and addressing the literal violence and deaths that threaten our community. So enroll to vote or check your vote, uh, vote details. Yeah, I'd really like to reiterate that um, if you don't enrol, we will fight you also. So. <laughs> Via the radio. Via the radio, through the airwaves. Um, interestingly, in 1997, as leader of the Australian Republican movement, Mr Turnbull wrote an opinion piece about a postal vote um, against a postal vote on the Republic, saying it would contravene basic democratic values. And he warned it would disenfranchise voters who were not at the address listed on the electoral roll, um, particularly young people and Aboriginal Australians in remote communities, as well as those who struggle with English. And I think that's kind of what um, Sabella was touching on as well, is like that that's more of a issue for um, uh, for the queer agenda, but it's also those communities within the queer community, I guess, are the ones that will be missing out. Yeah. Not at a registered address. So get on it. Yeah, it's happening. Um, and the postal plebiscite will use the normal electoral roll. So that means if you voted at the last election and you still live at the same address, you will automatically be enrolled to vote next month. If you aren't on the roll or your details are out of date or if you have just turned 18, um, you have until 6pm on August 24th to get to the... Um, AEC website and fix your details. Around 14% of young people aged between 18 and 24 are not currently enrolled, according to the latest data from the Australian Electoral Commission. Nationally, the percentage of Australians of all ages who are not enrolled is about 5%, which is huge. Mm. That's a massive number. So vote. Enroll and vote. <laughs> um, I'll put your thing on the survey. Um, ballot papers will start arriving in the mail from September 12 and you have until uh, November 7 to post them back. And that actually goes for 16 and 17-year-olds. I think that was a maybe a mistake, but 
It happens that now, if you're 16 or 17, you can also vote. So you should really do really? that. Yeah, so very, not very young people, relatively young people can also vote. Um, so you should do that. What you shouldn't do is start a hashtag to refocus <laughs> the debate on amazing. straight married couples, which is what journalist and consistently out-of-touch editor of Mamma Mia did. So Mia Friedman penned an article on Tuesday calling on, in very brave fashion, calling on straight and married <laughs> couples to stand in support of same... <clears throat> pardon me. It's just too funny. Into support of same-sex marriage. And so her idea was that married women should photograph themselves pointed to their <laughs> wedding rings and post them with the hashtag, hashtag married oh, for marriage equality. God. It's, um, yeah. And so the backlash was really funny. People were tweeting photos of them, like, eating salami in solidarity with um, starving <laughs> populations and tweeting photos of their houses in solidarity with, like, homeless communities. And it kind of just degenerated from there. So... You really have to give it up for Freeman. She's like, for me, she's like that person that you just can't bring yourself to delete off Facebook because they've just kind of, they're so deluded and their post is so self-serving that you can't really look away. And so I always find that like at least once a week she has to issue an apology for this kind of wacky... It's like you Out unfollow, but you want it there so you can see it yeah, when you need to. Like, oh, I can't, I can't look <laughs> I can't away. I delete you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think someone should probably delete me yeah. right <laughs> from, the, from the media world. Yeah. Anyway, she's a goose. And this is the new track from Habits. It's called Shame Slash Desire. You're on Agenda on FBI. Cold sweat cleansing, sweet in my mouth Dribbling down my chin Percussive thumb, perfect centaurs Lost in between the walls I lose faith that I am enough My insecurities ain't cute anymore Glassy days and you stand to me again Guess this is what I get for all I never did I 
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. And we're joined now by Dr. Ray Cooper and Sally Hannah Osborne from the University of Sydney's Business School uh, to talk about the recently released Skipping a Beat report. So welcome back, Ray. Hey. And welcome in, Sally. Hi. Um, and thank you for coming in to talk about the report. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of, yeah? Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, Skipping a Beat, we released it last week. And it's really looking at what's the um, what does the data tell us about where women are in the music industry. So that's about, firstly, about who makes it, so who gets played, uh, who uh, who is booked for festivals, who gets record contracts. Um, but it's also about who's making the decisions that are sort of behind that. And so that's looking at who uh, who's sitting on the you know on the boards, um, who's doing the you know constructing the agendas for the for the festivals um, and all of that kind of stuff. And surprisingly, it's very very male dominated in that back end of the business. So you were surprised by that? Well, I was actually. Were you a surprise, Sal? Yeah, I was because it's um, in some respects worse than other um, male dominated industries and occupations. And yeah, you just I don't know maybe it's just an intuition thing that music and creative and things to do the arts they'd be I guess more of a reasonably a evenly yeah, distributed, right? Yeah. So we've done work on you know women in engineering or women in other uh, you know male-dominated professions, and they're kind of things that you are associated with stereotypical kind of male characteristics, so physical brawn or you know whatever that is. But you just you think about the creative industries and you think that they're gender neutral, but as it turns out, they very much are not, especially after university. So mm. people who are enrolled to study uh, music. Um, composition or performance it's about 50 50 but it goes it really tails off uh, once people hit the labor force yeah I think um it's interesting yeah I think I had the same kind of assumption about the arts and music is that there are a lot of women in it but yeah at that stage of making decisions and you've kind of spoken before about they're not only being a glass ceiling but also being glass walls can you talk a little bit about yeah about yeah so we know a lot about the glass ceiling and that's really looking at where women are or are not in those really senior roles in organizations and in sectors but the glass wall is really about occupational and professional um, segregation and so in Australia in across industries um, women tend to work with women men tend to work with men and there's that classic kind of thing think about a childcare worker think about a tradie um, and, and you think woman, man, generally. Um, but it plays out in this sector as well, so in, in, within those occupations which go to making up the sector. So um, particularly looking at things like uh, uh, engineer, like music engineering um, mm-hmm. and looking at areas such as... Uh, uh, what, what other areas? Well, um, so as, as you said, Ray, w- women um, are about 50% of... Um, those who are qualified with a music degree, um, but they're only uh, a fifth of composers and, um, sorry, a third of composers, a fifth of those that are registered as um, with Abraham Cos as a songwriter. So, um, And it's even worse if you look at, you know, who's who's doing the booking and who's doing the producing and who's ma- sort of in, in the background making the music, if you know what I mean, producing Yeah, the music. and if you also look at the gender pay gap, which is quite staggering um, in terms of um, the income that men and women make from their creative, so from their music job, as opposed to the other jobs that they might have to do to supplement that income, um, it's really low to begin with, um, generally, uh, but women are making um, a lot less, like about like the gender gaps, pay gaps, about fifty percent less. Um, so, yeah, there's um, there's clearly um, yeah a lot of uh, segregation occupationally, but also um, some inequality in terms of uh, yeah income and. 
What has the response been like to the recommendations in the report from the music industry or from within kind of major um, music industry bodies? Mm, we've been really interested in the, there's been a really interested sort of public response to it. Um, so I don't think I've ever been tweeted so much or, you know, <laughs> had so much response on uh, social media. Um, and interestingly, on the day that we released our report, one of the industry bodies also put out a, a report um, with some research and with some recommendations that to make some changes in the sector around things like sponsorship of women and mentoring programs. Um, so there's been a, a little bit of a response. I think um, we haven't heard from ARIA or anyone uh, like that, mm. but um, I think there is a bit of a sense that there might be something kind of going on here and this is gender inequality in the sector is actually a bit of a thing. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I mean, the APRA uh, research was also um, kind of quantified by policy change as well. Like they made quite a lot of internal changes to their like policy. Yeah, yeah, which is great, right? Because, uh, I mean, the first step, I think, to actually trying to do something about this is understanding that you have a problem and what the dimensions of the problem Mm. are. So I say hats off to them for starting to address it. But it's, yeah, it's just total coincidence that these two things came out at the same time. So, you know, hopefully that means there's a bit of impetus behind trying to understand and and trying Mm. trying to fix this problem. Have you spoken to anyone who is not surprised by the findings of that because I know that there are a lot of incredible mentorship programs especially I mean FBI Radio does a um, women only mentorship program there are like Music New South Wales women in electronic music programs we spoke to um, Del Lumanta last week from All Girl Electronic which is like a uh, Western Sydney based initiative like mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of music industry kind of mentorship programs have you spoken to anyone who's maybe disappointed by um, the fact that that was one of the recommendations? Um, yeah, I've I've got some friends who are who are musos, um, professional musos, and um, they they some aspects surprise them, I guess, uh, about the overrepresentation of men in the boards. So perhaps things that they don't have a lot of interaction with day to day, and perhaps things that they don't think about day to day. So those things were surprising. But in terms of um, you know the things in in the report about uh, festivals and um, uh, performance spaces, so the, the the sexism and the harassment that might that can go on within musical environments, that wasn't surprising to mm-hmm. them, um, because those things they do create barriers. Um, they are, they're kind of difficult to see and difficult to measure in terms of the impact of them, but they go to creating envir- an environment which is um, hostile to mm-hmm. women, uh, and one I guess also which. Um, sexualizes and objectifies women in music, which means that their, I guess, their worth and their talent is uh, equated with um, their their appearance um, and their sexuality, as opposed to their their merit and their skill. Um, and I, I don't think anyone can argue that men are subjected to those same kind of press, pressures and expectations. And this was a three month study or like a quite a small st- length of time in yeah. relation to the um, report. Is this something that you will continue to um, do research into? Yeah. And so what we've done so far is really just look at the publicly available data. Mm. So we didn't collect our own data. We just put it together basically to see if we could, you know, come up with a bit of a, a caricature and a picture of what is going on with gender in music. Um, but as, as I said, you know, as we, we've mm. been quite surprised at just the scale of the problem, yeah, it's something that we're quite interested to have a have a look at. With with these things, of course, it's always about trying to fund your research and um, tr- trying to find a way to support it. But, yeah, I, I think with the response that we've had, um, and clearly it is a really significant issue, it's something that, yeah, we're going to continue to look at, along with all the rest of our work on gender inequality across the labour force. Yeah. yeah. Because it's everywhere. <laughs> and my correct answer with my PhD supervisor in the room is that I have to finish my PhD <laughs> first. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, it does seem like anecdotally people are aware that there is like a gender inequality problem in the music. But I think off the back of the hack research, so like Girls to the Front mm. and this Apra Amcos, and then you're specifically looking at like the publicly available data, it seems like there is this momentum building towards it. And it's not one study that's going to kind of explain everything but this is like building a kind yeah of, like a yeah. tide turning yeah yeah and so and it's something that people can look to and have very kind of hard evidence rather than being like it's just a thing that's a vibe yeah yeah <laughs> exactly it's a vibe it's the constitution yeah. <laughs> but i yeah. think what probably what's interesting as well though is a lot of the strategies that we see put in place or suggested are about the women themselves mm-hmm. um and so you know, while I say I think it's great that we're looking at things like sponsorship and mentorship and, you know, women's only programs and, uh, uh, you know, uh, we know from the research and we know from our own experience that having people who are, you know, got your back in terms of your professional development and uh, in terms of uh, sort of role modelling behaviour, um, that's really important. Um, but I think we've got to be real about this and say where's the problem? Is it the women or is it the sector? And mm. so to have a look at some systematic approaches to actually fixing not the women in the sector but maybe fixing the behaviour of the sector and the power structures in the sector which are male dominated which is yeah. about fixing blokes not women. Mm. And I think it's a it's an issue that is um, extends beyond just women and men as well like it's a diversity issue that um, there could be a lot yeah. more uh, research I mean women and men is kind of the basis of the research but yeah. it could be a research into gender non-conforming people in those positions mm. or yeah. you know like female identifying people and there is so much more um extension of yeah. that conversation that could be had as well. That's right. And we do need research which uncovers and explores those intersections of disadvantage mm. um, because, I mean, we could we could speculate, I think, quite safely that um, when, when gender intersects with those other forms of disadvantage, whether it's eth- ethnicity or sexuality mm. or um, socioeconomic status, then the, the picture probably comes a lot worse. Mm. Yeah. Um, we're out of time yeah. today. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in to talk to us, Sally and Ray. We'll pop a link up um, on our agenda show page as to where you can get some more information about that report. Um, we're going to leave you with a track from Melbourne-based Simona Castricum. She just released this track. It's called Triumph. There's an incredible video floating around on the internet that Purple Sneakers just uh, debuted, actually. We'll pop a link up to that. That on our agenda show page as well. Uh, have a good week.